Sonia and Sasha, for real. You're listening to Bring Back Live on Live FM. This is the Sonia and Sasha for Real show, and we're back for another Friday action-packed for real. Sasha, how are you feeling today? I am feeling really, really good. I'm really excited because we've got one of our very cool friends, uh, guest, which is Krishul, who's from yes. The Voice. Yes. In 2014, and we are so excited because he's actually releasing one of his uh, new singles today, which I absolutely love. Look, yeah. I really, really yeah. love this song. I can actually yeah. see myself pumping this song in the car. Like, it's my kind of song. Yes, and it's good for summer. It's good. It's a feel good, you know, for, for summer kind of song coming in. And his name even rhymes with cool. Is that cool? So, we've got yeah. Cool. <laughs> it's cool, 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 cool. <laughs> we've got cool coming on later on. I um, do love that. Hey, how are you feeling, oh. Freedom? How's the freedom going? Are you oh, loving this? Freedom, I will let you down. We have no ring of seal. We've got no rings. Dan, the man's very quiet lately. What's going on? Okay, can I just tell you, I'm actually liking Dan. But I know, I know. I'm on, I'm on, I'm feeling sorry. I feel sorry for him. Okay, I've been listening to a couple of interviews. I just think he's had a hard year. Now, you know, I was not on the bandwagon of Dan, Dan, Dan. The, what is the Dan bandwagon? I was not on his wagon. Um, as I was just not on any wagon really because I was stuck at home. Um, but I, I'm kind of feeling sorry for him and I'm, I'm thinking I might get on the beers just like him. <laughs> get on the beers, get on the beers. I've been listening to the remix. The remix, they made it into a song. I know, I know. And that's why I'm kind of just looking at him as a person. I know, look, I know people are going to go, oh, I can't believe you like me, but I do. I'm looking at him as a guy that's had a really crap year at work. Do you know what I said today? I was talking to, I did a seminar today and I was talking to some of the teachers um, and I said, I, I I want this year to be finished. I don't want to ever say the word COVID or social distance or mask or anything like that. I don't even want to say Dan the man. No more Dan. No more Dan. No more Dan. No, Dan. Dan needs to go because he's had a, he's had a tough year. He needs to go. Yeah. You know, well, he said, needs to drink his top shelf stuff. He needs <laughs> to go. Go get another job and do something like, you know, go off and get a job and, and put the stickers on the apples. You know, something low stress. Fruit picking in country fruit Victoria. Does and I, you know you can get your eighty-eight hours up. Like he is, just, he needs something a low-stress job. I'm not. I'm still. I'm still a bit upset that he did that. I don't recall. I don't recall because I believe that there is a little bit of recalling going on. That there's some lies going on. Totally. For some reason, I just feel sorry for him a little bit today. That's just how I'm feeling today. Potentially tomorrow, I might not actually care. But that's just <laughs> how I'm feeling today i love this teacher because she's i said to her i don't even want to know about dan the man anymore i don't care about his north face his suit i don't care about no. she said there's only one dan i care about now is that, <laughs> like, is that dan murphy, dan murphy. <laughs> all, all i know is i'm actually feeling a little bit sorry for north face because apparently their sales have gone down this <laughs> Have they really? Well, I've heard nobody's buying the jacket. Do you know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. I love how we and the internet just get hold of the funniest things and just blow them up. Like, you know, I'm going to get on the, <laughs> you're going to get on the beers, which was actually a friend of ours, Lassie, Lassie yeah. B's sister who said, are you going to get on the beers? That was her sister, the journalist. No way. So we're yeah. actually, we've got a connection. Yeah. Get on the beers, get on the beers. Degrees of separation. Yeah. And um, I love how we just blow things up and make them, make them into the funniest things. I've been loving the memes. I've been loving watching what's going on with, um, you know, Donald Trump and not conceding and all the memes that are coming out of America. If you're feeling a bit flat still, you need to get on the internet and just search through the explore page of the funny stuff because I tell you, it's a funny, funny time in history. 
but I feel hopeful. I actually I feel hopeful. I feel good. I feel really good. I'm happy. Yeah, the sun. I'm not that happy. Don't go too. Um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm getting into the happiness realm. I'm starting to get into it. I'm thinking about what to do on the weekend. I'm a little bit excited. Well, you know what I did? What? Tell me. I did an actual gig in front of a live speaking gig in front of 170 students who were oh. all in the same room. Did you touch them? Or were they real? I did not touch them. I wasn't. No, you didn't even touch one single person. No, I didn't. And as soon as I finished speaking, I put my mask back on. Oh, you good um, girl. And I was speaking to them. But I tell you, the energy that was in that room, and it was so funny because the teacher said to me, well, Sonia, they're a bit feisty today. And I said, that's even better. Bring it on. Bring it <laughs> give on. Me a, give me oh, a 170 no. feisty year nine students and let me go. Oh, and I, I, put me in a juvenile detention center. <laughs> <laughs> what I want, do you know what I mean? I want like 150 juveniles that have just committed every crime possible and they've gone nuts and that's where I want to be. Because, you know, I love, I love work. I mean, I've loved my time. I've got to work in great juvenile detention centres and I've, I've absolutely loved it. And mm-hmm. I really miss not going back in there. But that's one of my favourite places to work. So bring on the naughty kids, that's what I say. That's where you start. But it was, yeah. really, it was just great. And I think they loved it as well because it was finally something that wasn't, wasn't anything to do with catching up on their schoolwork. And it was yeah. a real person that came in from outside and, you know, we had the best time and I didn't want to leave. So oh, it's, I'm actually feeling very, very hopeful. Now, okay, I have a question for you. Tell me. The CEO of Qantas said... Is it, Al- is it Alan still? Alan. I can't, I can't remember. There's yeah, the Irish well, there was Alan. Was the Alan. Irish Alan Joyce. Alan I think Joyce. Yes, Alan. Good old Alan. What did Alan say? What did Alan say? What did Alan say? That's what I want to know. Alan. What do you say? I'm going to give you international flights mid next year. No jab, no fly. What do you think? I'm jabbing. That's all I can say. Let me tell you. Okay, can I just tell you this? Yes. I drink about four or five cans of Coke Zero a day, right? <laughs> that means I'm putting some pretty bad stuff into my body. So if you want to inject me with something a little bit extra, I'm pretty sure that the amount of Coke Zero I'm actually consuming in my body is probably going to do a little bit worse. But you're already immune with that. Uh, <laughs> the Coke Zero is actually the new COVID virus. <laughs> AstraZeneca has just gone a bit of Coke Zero, a bit of other Pepsi you know, Max. That's why. That's why I haven't got COVID because I'm not actually a real person. I'm Correct. Just... <laughs> and that and that <laughs> one Vita gummy that you had when you were twelve—it's just taken over. <laughs> yeah. So, but I'm not. I don't want to get my kids jabbed. Right. So what? Yeah. So that means you'll get jabbed so you that, can fly. That, you but know, you're that, saying I am an anti-vaxxer for the children. Bye, kids. Mama's going to the airport. Well, that's why. Because <laughs> if I get if I don't get my kids jabbed, then they have to say no. <laughs> what did you think it was? Because. I was actually caring about yes. <laughs> Okay, let's all be honest. There's two reasons why I don't want to get my kids jabbed. Number one, I don't want them coming out of the country with me. And number two, I really actually care about their health. I do. Because my kids, believe it or not, hold my grandchildren. You're right. They do. They're already equipped with them because they're born. They are. They're born. <laughs> they right? do. And um, okay. I'm very, very um, excited to have grandchildren. Not right now, but I am very excited right. about it. And so, like, not for a really, really long time. But I do have, I do see myself as a grandmother. It's funny, isn't it? Oh, that's a bit of a therapy session. Oh, okay. I'm not ready for that at all. Okay. But, yeah, and I just, I really, I'm not comfortable with my kids actually getting it. I just actually figure myself, I'm full of Coke Zero, so nothing can really get me going. (laughs) So there's no big. If you grow, like, a a sixth finger or a nipple or something, you don't worry about it. Coke Zero and it'll corrode off, you know what I mean? (laughs) 
I'm not worried about it. I just no. wonder how they've been able to get um, a vaccine that usually takes uh, 10 years of testing and before it even gets to market to market in less than a year. I just wonder that. I wonder what's in it. Yeah. See, I actually think that's where my little conspiracy theories go and my mind starts to wander and think, I think that um, there's some stuff that doesn't really make so much sense here. I think a lot of us are asking those questions, yeah. But you know what? It is on a positive note. We're feeling good. We've had zero cases for a really long time. I remember reading that Dan the Man said, if we have a month of zeros, we're opening everything up like it was normal. So I think he's being a little more cautious now, now that we're sort of here. But it feels good to be zero. It feels good to be COVID-free. Do you think, what do you do? Are you, um, have you seen the people, some people are wearing masks outside still. Mm. What do you think of that? Oh, I just think take the mask off. I can't wait yeah. to rip that thing off my face as soon as I get in a car or get out of the Okay, can I, do I want to tell you a secret? And yeah. I know that there are people that will probably disagree with me and probably think that I'm very, very naughty. Uh-oh. I, I'm not saying I'm doing this at 100%, but I'd say I'm probably at about 80. I've figured a loophole out that I'm not wearing a mask. 80% of the time. How is it? What's Oh, <laughs> I'm completely walking around with the drink at all times. That's all I can say. Like I literally walk into the shopping centre, I've got a drink, I've got a coffee, I've got a boost juice, um, I've got some sort of shake going on. If I go into the supermarket and I don't have a drink, I buy one straight away. <laughs> um, I went into Baker's Delight. I got out of my car. I parked in front of Baker's Delight today. And I got out of my car. I had my drink bottle in my hand. I walked in there, ordered my bread, walked out, and then did not put my mask back on. And I understand the loophole. And, you know, if I was going to take up, if if drinking water was out of the question, I'd take up smoking. I'd be one of those, (laughs) uh, Captain Kim, I'd be walking around with a smoke out of my mouth. For a non-smoker, not lit, just, oh, I'm about about to light it. Well, you're being naughty, but you're actually being cute while you're being naughty because you do walk around with the drink very close to your mouth. I do, I do. Everybody, at all times, I am consuming a beverage. Look how close to my mouth it It is. is. Look, I'm not just holding my bottle of water, like, as I'm walking. I'm carrying it at my mouth level. So at At all times. (laughs) She's a Karen. I go... Just take it a sip, sweetheart. Just a sweet, just a nod. Because I'm parched. It's getting hot now, and I'm yeah. often quite parched. Okay, I think you've come up with a naughty loophole. We'll let yeah. you go on that one because I think we're 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 on the run home. I reckon. So, all right. Yeah. Well, after the break, we've got a fantastic guest, a friend of ours, Krishul, who rhymes with cool, and we're going to talk to him all about his new single and what he's been doing after the voice. You're listening to Brimbank Live and Live FM. This is the Sonia and Sasha for Real Show. See you soon. Sonia and Sasha, for real. You're listening to Brimbank Live and Live FM. This is the Sonia and Sasha for Real show. You know it's our favourite day. You know that we always bring on the best guests ever, Sash. You know oh, that we do that. And, and we didn't even need to stalk this time no. because he's our friend. Well, he, it's, 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 it's stalking from the previous past. It's like, you know, um, it's like <laughs> ghosts from, from Christmas past, that sort of stuff. This is old stalking rehashed and brought back to us. This is not, this is not just this. Um, this is an incredible friend of ours that we found back in our old days in a previous life that we had when we had the Australian Teenage Expo yes and along the way we just met these incredible people and um and then we met Krishul who is like he oozes 
peace and love and he's almost like I just think of him as like my soul friend you know what I mean like he just oh. he brings me joy to my heart I love listening to his stuff I love his music we've been able to work with him for such a long time and we've just developed this incredible relationship with him he's from the voice of 2014 can we give a massive round of applause for our beautiful soul friend Kushal Thank you so much, ladies. That is one of the warmest introductions I've ever had. Can, can I take you girls out like on tour? You can be my MC. Like, yes. I love the way you introduce me. That That is like, thank you so much. Yes, yes. Sure. yes, yes. Don't ask me twice because I'll go to Werribee <laughs> with you right now. I'm so desperate. Do you know what I mean? Like if you've got a gig in Hopper's Crossing, I'm coming. Do you know what I mean? She'll carry Andy Nong. <laughs> I'm even going down the road, like, get me out. So if you, if you need an MC, I'm not saying no. Sasha rocks up with a gaffer tape and a suitcase. Away we go. <laughs> Let's go. I love it. Krishul, you burst into our lives uh, on the screen. For most people, uh, on The Voice 2014, I remember Red Leather Jacket, Usher, oh, my God. The dance moves we fell in love with you you had the dreadlocks you had the whole pizzazz the smile that lit up our lives you worked with will i am that must have been incredible tell us about that really quickly before we get into your new single which we're so loving thank you yeah that was that was one crazy experience you know I, you grow up watching these artists on tv ricky martin will i am connie minow and then you're on stage you're performing to them and Will I am turned around. That was that was the highlight, you know. Um, I mean, to this day, it's one of the, the highlights of my life. And um, I think as an artist, being able to uh, receive uh, recognition, you know, encouragement from people that you admire, that's um, that's a whole other level. I mean, it's it's fantastic being able to perform in front of the stage, but also to to be coached by someone that you look up to and the entire experience. Like, I'll take that, I'll I'll, I'll take that with me, you know, everywhere I go. Is his mind just as amazing as we think it is absolutely i mean look uh it's there are so many positive things to say about will i am so i don't know where to start but yeah. he's one of these guys that is always trying to keep people on the level like he's always thinking about how to how to sell you like there there are times when um you know i, I remember watching the show and uh there are artists that didn't necessarily get on the show, but he, he's always looking for a way to promote them, trying to plug their social media. He's always trying to make you feel calm and relaxed, and he's always cracking jokes. You know, he's, I mean, it's he's the he's the perfect uh, mentor because he's always thinking about not only your music and how to promote you, but thinking about your mental state, trying to keep everything everyone together. So, uh, I mean, the entire experience, you know, throughout the voice, like. I didn't even feel as if it was a competition, you know. I just felt as if I was um, just having a party, you know, courtesy of Will I Am. Oh, how good is that? What an incredible experience. How old were you when that happened? I was, hmm, well, I would be disclosing my age. I'm about, I think I was about, <laughs> it's about 19. No. Well, well, do you know what? We're no, 23 just... and a half, so it must be around about the same time as that. <laughs> no, I, w I was, um, yeah, I was. I, so, hang on. I was older. <laughs> He was, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, that, and we'll go with that because, you know, Sonia yeah, and I haven't gone past 23 and a half. 23 and a half every birthday, same birthday. Every yeah, time. so 
because we haven't dealt with our age yet, so you, you're quite welcome to bring those issues to the table right here. <laughs> now, you've brought out lots of singles that I've loved and, you know, they're all stored on my phone and they're part of my playlist, but this song that you're about to release, it's today or tomorrow that you're releasing it, let me in. Where did this come from? Because, honestly, it's your best work. I absolutely love it. If you probably can hear, I think my kids are about to kill each other in the background. I'm really <laughs> sorry about that. Um, tell us about Let Me In. Thank you. Yeah, so um, I wrote this song about a year ago, and it's about it's about when you first start seeing someone, they have these walls, um, they don't want to open up to you, and it's about breaking those barriers and trying to get someone to, uh, yeah, to open up their hearts so you can allow the magic to happen. So the song is really kind of about, it kind of expresses just going for it, you know, and kind of just not, not have any reservations and um, just allowing that magic to uh, to happen by opening. I'm a firm believer in the idea that when you open up to someone, it gives them permission to open up as well. And uh, okay. that song was kind of like expressing um, that that feeling of um, yeah, opening yourself up to someone so they'll finally kind of let you in. So the song's called "Let Me In," and it's really just going for it, no games, just pure sincerity. I think um, sincerity is the uh, is is the gateway to, to love you know like it's about being real and that's what the song is about do you see you should pre preach just louder for the people in the back for sure that's what we need to say uh, um, I, hang on can i ask you this personal question sure. did that come from experience like did you have to reach deep into the soul and, and did that come from somewhere absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> no it's it's definitely from experience i think we we all start off, you know, guys and girls. I mean, um, you get hurt at some point and you, you build these barriers and uh, you don't want to open yourself up to someone because you don't, you don't want to feel rejected, you know? And uh, at some point you realize that when you do that, you're not able to experience the magic because the, the magic is what happens when you're, you're actually open and you let people into your life. So I feel like um, obviously at the moment, everyone's going through a lot of social isolation you know and i think it's probably the worst time to be single right now and uh, i think people are having to open themselves up granted they they can't well a few weeks ago they couldn't go over to their parents house or their friend's house and uh spend time with them but they're having to reach out and connect to people and bear their souls and the more you do that the, the less isolated you feel because it's so important right now i think to have connection and the only way you do that is um, the only way you let people in is by um by opening up and getting past all of that all the all the fears that you have you know all the barriers i think vulnerability is what it's about so um yeah it's definitely something that came about from personal experience oh, 100 vulnerability is the absolute key for all of that um i uh, I can't stress that enough and I, I try to be as vulnerable as possible, especially on social media because I think that we're always all closed up and we're all trying to portray that, you know, life is all perfect and the fact that you're doing that. I absolutely love following your little morning walks. Um, I love your morning walks where you just It's been a while since I've done that actually. Yeah. I've, loved, I've loved, you know, during COVID you'll go for a walk and you'll talk about anything that comes off the top of your head and that's been incredible i've loved following you and so everybody needs to get on social media and follow you because you're absolutely raw and you're honest and you're real and your music just actually oozes that stuff as well as well so thank you well, thank you very much well you know i i do like to call myself the uh the chocolate nubian soul brother uh, emphasis <laughs> on the word soul and it's all about 
all about being real, you know. I think soul music, uh, music in general, is is an honest expression of what you're feeling. And uh, I, I like to purvey, I like to call myself a purveyor of vibes, you know. And it's not just musical vibes, but it's um, it's it's truth bombs, it's life bombs, you know. So I, I often, I often do these videos, these rants. I have a podcast. Um, I've had <laughs> had you, Sasha, on the on the yes! podcast. And uh, yeah, I, one of the things I love about you is similarly even more so you're very soulful you're very open about everything that you're feeling and uh you know I, I obviously went through a rough year a lot of people went through a rough year and uh you opened yourself up to me and you definitely um you definitely I think you've given me permission to even be more soulful than I am as the chocolate Nubian soul brother so uh, I want to say thank you for that oh <laughs> thank you I just people just need to follow you because you've you've done really good and get onto this song let me in it's amazing. I'm going to be spreading it out there because it is a really, really good song. Thank you. Speaking of vibes, this song is a whole vibe. But we're going to listen to it right now. It hasn't even been released yet. So this is, I think, an Australian world global first. Let's say that. World world first on the Sonia and Sasha for Real show. Thank you for sure. We adore you. We hope it sells millions and millions. Let me in featuring Kristen. Um, so have a look at social media for both artists. Please follow Kushal. Please thank you, Kushal, for being on our show. We love it. Listen right now to Let Me In. You're listening to Sweet. And if I can just plug it, be sure to check out Kristen. That's on Instagram, Kushal, K-R-I-S-H-O-O-L on Instagram. You know what it is. Beautiful. Amazing. Thank you, Chocolate Nubian King. We'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Sonia. We appreciate the opportunity. This is the Sonia and Sasha for Real Show. Let me in. Coming up now. We'll be back soon. Turn the lights down low. Let your world unfold. Try to lose yourself and go with the flow. Let your mind be free. Cast your soul to see. I can be your Messiah. My heart stops. I'm made. Take away a breath of fire, you won't believe you're my 
each other is do we get to hug do we get to no well we can virtual hug we can virtual hug you can uh, yeah. hug the people you're closest with you can do an elbow tap you can do a leg lift you can do whatever you want really uh, okay so <laughs> leg lift with no touching is that is that what our social inclusion week actually means do you remember Bert, Bert Newton used to say oh I'm so excited I used to run around with one leg in the air that's that's what we're doing this, this uh, social inclusion week so we've got the best guest We've been, we've actually been needing social inclusion for the last seven months. That's what we have been needing. So this is perfect timing. On our twenty-eight days of uh, no COVID, this is perfect. Yay for us! We did it. We finally did it. So let me just introduce our beautiful guest. So, uh, Jonathan Charles Welsh, choral conductor, opera singer, Australian uh, Order of Australia member. Excuse me. Oh, used to put oh the darling. At the end of his name. Do you mind? Oh, uh, oh darling, tell you her. Uh, in 2007, uh, no, in 2006, established the Choir of Hard Knocks. Do you know the Choir of Hard Knocks? I do. Great I documentary do know about that. it. Yes. And it's, and it's um, about how this brilliant man put together a whole lot of people experiencing homelessness and disadvantaged, disadvantaged people and made a bloody brilliant choir out of it. We've got the man who did it right now. Could you please welcome Go Crazy, Jonathan Welsh. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jonathan. Thank you. I always feel tired when I hear that. Yes. <laughs> That list of things that I've done over the last 40 years ago. Oh, no wonder I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? You did it. You did them all. You it's did them all. Vision Week, And you created this. You've put it together. Please tell us about what it all means. Well, on the, first of all, it's great to be with you. And thank you so much um, for, for having me on the show. I didn't, and I didn't realise that we're all in the same, in the same little boat. We're in the same wood, yes. Uh, we're almost in our same five kilometres. We could have come and hung out with each other. Well, you're on your trampoline there. Yeah, I know. I could have gone out into my trampoline, that boy's trampoline, but we could have just jumped from jump, <laughs> Jumped from flat, yeah. I'm not that good on the trampoline, so I can't jump to your house, but I'll definitely give it a go to just jump to the clothesline. We, we want to see a few tricks before we finish. Oh, um, God, that so scares me. <laughs> You can psych yourself up for that. I will, um, okay. But Social Inclusion Week began really, I suppose, as a concept in my mind after the Choir of Hard Knocks came into everybody's lounge rooms uh, in, in 2007. Mm -hmm. And I had so many people stop me on the streets and the supermarkets and, you know, in office works and <laughs> saying, oh, I love what you do, but I'm not a musician or a singer. And, you know, I really want to try and help 
in my community and help those people who are perhaps less less fortunate to yeah. uh, to connect. So the germ of the seed really came as an inspiration out of Quarry Pathmarks. Yeah. And um, so I had the the great fortune to meet um, with uh, Tanya Plibersick and uh, Julia Gillard. When so this is when the Rudd government had just come into office. Yep. Um, at the mm -hmm. beginning, at the end of two thousand and seven, coming into two thousand and eight, mm -hmm. they were bringing in the social inclusion agenda, I suppose, which had been created originally, uh, I think, in France and Canada. Um, and it's quite interesting because the concept of choir of hard knocks and creating what we call street choirs now, which is a worldwide phenomenon. There are now, as a result of the Choir of Hard Knocks documentary, which I think every expat Aussie got a copy of in the Christmas stocking in 2007. Yeah. Some of mine ready to receive my... The concept of the street choirs has now gone worldwide and there are street choirs all through America, um, but the concept, and England, I visited uh, the choir, um, uh, choir of High Hopes in Ireland. I visited the choir with no name and performed them in, with him in London. Oh the singers at the street in San Francisco. I've performed with Dallas Street Choir in, um, in, in Texas. Um, wow. So that, but the concept of social inclusion really was also off, working off what the government at that time were really trying to achieve. And I felt that their agenda was very much top down um, and that really it was the community that needed to take responsibility for this issue to make yes. it long lasting. Yes. And I'm pleased that I, I, I actually stood, stood my ground with the government because they said, how are you going to create you know, events all around the country and create social inclusion work? And I said, well, I'm not going to do it, mm. but I'm going to encourage everybody else to connect and collaborate and celebrate. Yeah. Uh, inclusion in this country so and I'm very pleased I did because with the change of government of course the inclusion department went yes. <laughs> but everybody particularly I have to say in the welfare sector um, and, and councils and everybody around the country have still included um, the, the inclusion agenda has become very very important especially this year when we've had so much exclusion yeah. um, uh, from each other so that's how it all kind of started. And, and I reflected back on how I grew up. Um, I, I grew up in Ripon Lee, not far from the tele, um, ABC television station, actually, um, and the studios there. And, you know, my mum used to each day check on the neighbours on each side of the fence and they'd be handing over, you know, lemon meringue pies and, and oh. fresh lemons. And that she was constantly, they were always looking out for each other. And yeah. so I, I think that very much has formed... Um, the, the idea of and the, and, and, and the embryo for the work that I've been doing now for the last yeah. 20 years here in Australia. But it's just about kindness and caring. Mm. And just sometimes, you know, walking, you're walking along the street, um, you know, just saying, hello. Mm. You know, and people often will go, oh, mm. I've actually experienced it during lockdown. You know, we were able to go for our walks and things. I've, I've, I've been walking along Maribyrnong River, but yes. I've also been going to Greenbank Park too. Same. Absolutely. We'll have to meet up and have a coffee. Um, I think so. We have to. <laughs> we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, and, but people are shocked when you kind of just say, oh, it's hard over the masks. You kind of, you know, raise your eyes and go, hello. <laughs> <laughs> but the response is always, oh, oh, you know, oh, hello. 
And often you can never under, under, underestimate also the gift of an invitation mm. and inviting somebody to, you know, come and have a cup of coffee with you or even doing this, inviting to somebody to come and share a conversation, whether it's on Zoom or whether it's a phone chat or whatever it is. I think the gift of an invitation is one of the most powerful things absolutely. that we can do as human beings to share and connect with each other. Oh, absolutely. Jonathan, it's what's, what I've, I've loved about this story that you've just told us is that you got all of this passion and drive purely from when your mum was checking on her neighbours. And I think the power of that is the example of what we can do as parents by showing that kindness and then that becomes our legacy of what our children get to see. And I just... Uh, it's such an important thing for us as adults to be able to show our kids so that this just continues on because we really have um, grown and uh, a, a quite a privileged group of young people right now that have much more opportunities than they ever have. And so showing us as parents really showing kindness and teaching them takes it to that next level where they can actually grow up with it. And then, you know, I almost need to, I would have to pinch myself if I was you to be able to think of the impact that I've made. Oh, I, look, I don't think about it. You know, I'm, I'm one of these people that just, I just, I just do it. And, and um, I, I, you know, and that's for other people, I suppose, to, to um, measure that impact in the years to come. But even, you know, even during the lockdown, the first lockdown, where we are here in Nidri, we're in a cul-de-sac street, and we have some very elderly neighbours across the road from us. And we've just moved into this area um, over the last 12 months. And... Um, I decided that at five o'clock, I was quite worried about them actually because they're in their 80s opposite and we've got some lovely young families next to us. But I decided that um, during the lockdown at five o'clock on Sundays, this is during winter, I, um, we went out and the first day we went out into the street and banged. I, I took my boys out. So I've got two boys who are 11 and 13. They thought it was absolutely bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> and I banged saucepans. And everybody kind of came out in the street going, oh, is the war over? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> it's the war over. And that started this wonderful, um, and for several months, um, just to make sure once a week, on Sunday at five o'clock, we'd make sure everybody was okay and we'd come just into our driveways. And we'd, you know, everybody, it became such a fun thing that everybody was banging their saucepans and people would come out into the streets. And... You know, that, I think that very simple act, you know, was really just showed that um, we cared about, even though we didn't see each other and we weren't in each other's lives and we couldn't be in each other's lives, yeah. you can still just take, you know, you can take that little bit of time just to reach out and, and, and make sure that those, you know, people around you are okay. Yeah. And it's not hard. And, that, you know, and I think from that, we've got beautiful friendships now with our neighbours. In fact, Ron and Norma, who live across the road here, during the lockdown, celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary. Oh, that's... And they couldn't, oh, have, wow. they couldn't have the kids and the grandkids over and all that sort of stuff. So my amazing partner went out to the garage and got a piece of cardboard and the boys and they write, write, rewrite a sign and we went and got some flowers. And so on that day, it was a Thursday, I think, actually, we went out and banged the saucepans and Ron and Norma came out and we were able to, you know, stand with the sign and wish them a happy anniversary and gave them some flowers. But we didn't know that Norma was an amazing artist. And two days later, my husband, Ron, there was a knock at the front door and we thought, oh, this is a 
you know, I haven't had anybody at the door for a while. Got to be excited. Someone yeah. was at the door. And, um, he brought over a beautiful painting that she had done for us. Flowers that we gave her. Wow. So we now have this beautiful uh, framed picture, this watercolor picture of these these flowers that we. So I suppose what I'm trying to do now these days, um, my new arts charity that Social Inclusion Week sits under now is called Play It Forward, mm-hmm. and. Um, when I decided to finish with Choir of Hard Knocks um, 18 months ago, uh, I suppose in the 12 months before that, I started to think about, okay, how, how do I want to continue this legacy through arts and through music as well too? And um, I loved the, mo- the movie Pay It Forward. Do you remember seeing that with Kevin Spacey? Oh, oh my God, that is my favourite movie. Uh, my, one of my favourite movies. And it's just come on Netflix now. It's just come on Netflix this week. And why, we watched it on Saturday night. It's my favourite movie. Love it. We just watched it with the boys for the first time the other day because they knew they'd heard, you know, they've seen the logo and they've seen Play It Forward and they know that's the work that I do now through my new arts charity. Yeah. It's just come on Netflix. Yeah. So about a decade ago, when I was funny, when I was finishing with Cry, starting to kind of um, cry in its early days, I actually trademarked, the name came into my head and I thought, oh, I'm just going to sit on that. Yep while and um uh so i launched play it forward now because i think we all have whether it's your interest you're able to you know contribute through music or art or sport or whatever it is we're all able to make a contribution back to the world through what we're passionate about and it can be in such a simple way it doesn't have to be oh let's create a a national you know (laughs) event for everybody to celebrate Year. Um, and it's amazing though, people have still, um, that we know of, you know, there are hundreds of events that people even this week are creating. Um, in the councils have picked it up, um, a lot of welfare agencies and great, you know, organisations who are doing great work already in the, the inclusion space yeah. are using it to promote and highlight what they do. And that's what I exactly what I wanted this to do. Oh, Jonathan, we just think you're incredible. I don't know how you don't just walk around constantly covered in goosebumps because we certainly have been during this whole interview. I think we need to come back and do like a, 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 an hour with you and, and let's actually really dig deep into, you know, the impact that you've had because what an incredible life. Thank you so much for being with us um, today on the Sonia and Sasha For Real Show. If you would like to get involved in playing it forward, paying it forward in social inclusion. It's playitforward.org.au. So we actually have choirs around here. I've in fact created um, a choir entirely virtually since September with the Mooney Valley Council who supported it. Um, uh, An entire choir that in fact at 11 o'clock today, if you go to play it forward, the Facebook page, you will see... um, the Voices of Mooney Valley's first performance ever virtually oh, as a virtual wow. at 11 o'clock today that's launching. Um, and um, socialinclusionweek.com.au or, or .com.au's, as Effie used to say. Socialinclusionweek.com.au's. All right, thank you very much. Thanks. All right. <laughs> All right. Happy Social Inclusion Week, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And let's catch up for that coffee. You need to bounce. Absolutely. Hey, look, I'm up and down. I'm up and down. Look, I'm up and down. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Greenback Live and Live FM. This is a Sonia and Sasha for Real Show.
Sonia and Sasha, for real. You're listening to Brimbank Live on Live FM. This is the Sonia and Sasha for Real show. And we are back with our last segment now. Last week, we had an interesting show, controversial, with our friend Scott, and we didn't actually get to um, mention or commemorate the National Road Safety Week that happened last week across Australia, which is every single day is a different initiative. On one of the days, you turn your lights on to commemorate the people we've lost on our roads. You, you know, think about that you're driving and you you know keep your family in mind and so really keep your eye on road safety and focusing on being um, safe in the roads now we Sasha and I um, are very close some would say that we're cousins slash sisters and we are definitely family and even though we're not related by blood we are family and we have had Sasha um, in particular has had a very sad experience in losing somebody and so we wanted to talk about that today now this is a very serious subject for us and this is really opening up ourselves up and, and revealing particularly you Sasha um, something that's very sad that's happened in your life so um, could you tell us about what happened please with your Ah, so back in 2011, my um, my dad was actually killed uh, due to a road safety um, accident. So he was he was a pedestrian actually. He was walking down the street, and he was just walking down the street on the side of the road on a street that nobody was walking on. And it was probably about six o'clock at night. And he had just come back from work. So he worked at uh, Flinders Street Station and he got off a train and my mum was actually coming, uh, was coming back to pick him up. And uh, she was actually with a client at the time and was running a little bit late. And he said, I'll start walking with you, pick me up. And he was just walking as a pedestrian on the side of the road. And um, a girl came and she was four times over the legal limit of driving with blood alcohol limit. And um, she was doing... 100 and, um, 114 in a 70 zone and she kind of tried to swerve and take over uh, take over another car and then lost control and then due to losing control she actually like just drove directly into a house my dad happened to be walking directly past that house and she hit him and he was killed on impact straight away so um I'm definitely one of those people that did drive with my lights on during the week. Uh, last week, I did that every day because we have big signs on our freeway and I think that it's really important. And I've, I've always been somebody that's been really conscious of drink driving and 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 it's kind of come, you know, I've always been somebody, I don't drink drive at all. Like, you know, I'll be, if I have one drink, that's kind of like my limit, maybe two at the absolute max, but I make sure that there's a big Thing. it's something that's drummed into my head. So the fact that I've always been able to um, have that and then actually experience that. And then on the flip side, I guess the other different thing about this is that interestingly enough that we were talking about juvenile detention centres, I've been able, I've been fortunate enough, my career's led me to working in juvenile detention centres. And this um, young person, it was a young person that actually um, was the driver of the vehicle in, mm. in the accident. Um, who then subsequently went to jail because of um, what had happened, was I've been able to work in juvenile detention centres and been able to work really, really closely with young people that have killed people due to drink mm. driving or drinking, you know, driving under the influence of drugs and actually killed someone and then been um, locked up due to that. So um, 
I've, I've kind of had like a very different 360 turn. I've been in the position of working with those young people and understanding the aftermath and the effects that it's had. Then I've been the person that's working with the people trying to teach them, you know, new ways of ways of doing things. And then I've been the actual person that experienced it. So I don't think that there's that many people that have been able to experience it on so many levels, yeah. which is why I've been able to get a real understanding of what the impact that it actually has on people. And the impact that it's had on me is incredible. Like I could not even measure the impact that it's had on my life and not just on the impact of that particular time, how it's impacted my life, um, you know, right up until this particular day because my children don't have a grandparent due to that and they know. And it was very interesting then explaining it to my, my children about how their grandfather has passed away as well. So there's there's been lots of things. And then the impact that it's had on my mum, and I can honestly tell you, Sonia, and you and I both know this, um, my mum passed away last year and although she did survive another 12 years, 11 years or so, um, with without um, Vernie, I honestly can tell you that my mum died of a broken heart. Yeah. Because I that was, that. you know, like 100%. If there's anyone that you can say my, that died of a broken heart, it was absolutely. Like they were, you know, I refer to them as Ma and Pa Kettle, like that perfect mm. couple, like that real perfect couple. Yeah. And so to experience that of what happens is just, it's an, you just can't even measure the effects of what that, what that can do to a family. And it's really interesting because the effects it's had even on my own marriage and my own relationship, you know, like I was about to get married and I was, you know, I just, I was not long after just fallen pregnant. And, um, you know, I, I was living with, um, I was living with a girlfriend and, you know, my, um, my fiance, who's now my husband was kind of staying, you know, was, was sleeping over every night and that sort of stuff. And then that meant that I then moved back in back home with my mum and then bizarrely enough that day he where he was living he was evicted from where he was going like they were said you know you need to find another place because somebody else was moving into that house and so we instantly both moved into my mum's and um, not long ago we went we had um, we were sitting around with a, a group of school parents and we were having a dinner and uh, everyone was saying, oh, you know, tell us about when you guys moved in together and, and what that was like and the first time that you guys moved in and blah, 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 and, the, and that the happy time of when you all got together. Mm. And I, I'd never actually thought about it. And then I overheard my husband saying to somebody else and saying, it's really interesting. That's not what it was like for us. The first time we literally went, it's official, we're moving in together. We moved in with my mum under the worst possible circumstances. So what does that do? I don't know. What are the ripple effects of that? I don't know. You know, when you, you start off your life together after, under, you know, with such pressure, what, what's the ripple effects of that sort of stuff? Mm, absolutely. You know? um, and that's and what I, people don't get, I think, is that there, there's such... Um, it infiltrates every part of your life and, and then in turn so many other people's lives. It's like that drop the pebble in the pond and watch the ripple effect go out because it was everyone around and then it filters into every single part of your life you got married you had a baby all these yeah. milestones in life that you expect your you know parent to be there they you want and need them to be there um take us back to the night what what when what you happened? got the call what happened 
Uh, so I was, watch- I was washing the dishes and I remember I had, I had um, gloves on and I was washing the dishes and my mobile phone rang and I saw that it was my mum and there was one part of me going, oh, I've got to take the gloves off, should I answer the phone? And then normally I'd probably go, oh, I've got my hands, I've got soap everywhere. But I took them off and I answered the phone and um, it was my mum screaming, screaming on the other end of the phone. And I was like, I couldn't understand what she was saying and she just said, get in the car and literally... Um, you know, the, the accident was only like, you know, five, six hundred metres from where I live right now and from her house. And um, she um, she said, just get in the car and drive down the street. And I went, uh, she said, you'll see, you need to stop. Um, um, someone's dog, he's dead, he's dead. That's all she kept on screaming. And I actually thought my mum had killed someone. I thought my mum was driving. And she, I just didn't get it. Like all she was doing was just get in the car and drive down the road and get in there and you'll see and and he's dead. And I was like, what? And I didn't understand. And so I literally took the gloves and I put through my phone down, got it and got into the car and drove and literally within three or 400 metres there was, you know, fire, ambulance, police and all of that sort of stuff. And, um, and she just said he's he's in that and I was like what do you mean he's in that because there's this accident and the accident was there was there was two cars there was a um a van there was a car and a van and they were both inside a house and the house had a big brick fence out the front and so they had gone through the brick fence and as this girl was overtaking she's clipped a a, um, a van and they've both spun out of control and they've both gone into this in this house yeah and so nobody knew he was there because he was actually walking directly past that house and so they've hit him hit the brick fence gone through the house and the the car both the cars are now in the front lounge room of the house and so they don't know that he's underneath the rubble because who would know that there's a pedestrian walking past like they're concerned about the people in the house they're concerned about the people in the car yeah, and up and my mum's going. He's under there. He's under there, and because she's looking, where is he on the street? He can't be there. And she, you know, like if he was, he would kind of be there, going, "This is huge." Um, and so what had happened was he was there, and then she's rang his mobile phone, and we heard his mobile phone, and so mm-hmm. I've literally just gone over and I've gone I've climbed I'm on these bricks I'm climbing on these bricks and this policeman's just come and grabbed me and said and I'm like on the on this car with these bricks and I'm I don't even know what I was trying to do I just knew that he was under there because we could hear his mobile phone ringing under this rubble yeah. of cars and, and stuff and everyone was really focused on the fact of this car because she was screaming she was drunk and she was swearing and yelling and being really abusive to the police and the ambulance and and then that people in the van were very 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 injured and then there was the people in the house and here's this what they thought was this crazy woman jumping into the rubble trying to move these bricks and get in yeah. and so this police just come and, and grabbed me and said you need to get back there get back and was really, really aggressive and rude to me and, and quite rough with me. And I've literally just pushed him back and gone toe-to-toe with this policeman <laughs> and just like, I don't know what that, and just said, you need to listen to me. My dad's under there. And he's it's like, what are you talking fine. about? What are you talking about? And he said, and I said, there is, my dad is under that. 
And then all of a sudden he's like, no, it's not, no, you need to move back, move back, move back. This is such a... And I said, no, you need to listen to me and stop work and listen to me. I'm telling you, listen. And he stopped. Then next thing he's called everyone and he's gone, this woman's telling me that her dad's under there. And then they've literally just gone, there's a person under there, so we need to kind of get in there. Yeah. But they couldn't because it was, it was a full brick wall and a full car that was now inside a house, inside a lounge room. And um, and that's like they just if if we didn't even know nobody would have even known he was there until they unpacked it and pulled it all apart to know that there was a person under there. So that made them then go right. We need to get the fire. We need to get this truck. We need to start to move things because we don't know what that was. And then they eventually did find him under there. And um, believe it or not, the next night uh, would have been yeah twenty four hours later. The next night, so. Um, I, I can't even explain to you what the next part of that was. I mean, my mum was just sitting on the floor. Someone had brought out a chair out for my mum and just those that siren and those lights, you know, that blue and red lights, like I just remember it was night. It was getting, you know, darker and darker. I remember all of those lights and I just remember holding my mum and saying, we're going to be all right, mum, we're going to be all right. I'm just, you know, I'm going to have this. And I remember ringing she said to me I've got something cooking on the stove or something and then it was like it, it's bizarre how you remember like I had to get mm-hmm. some call someone I gave this random woman my phone and said you need to call someone and yeah. get them to go over there and turn it off and and then you know calling people and and then it just kind of snowballed and we, we were sitting there and we didn't leave the scene until they actually found him and so that must have been a number of hours like it must have been uh, a couple of hours that it was found that it was there and I just remember holding my mum but there's this there's this part where you're walking around it's almost like an out-of-body experience where you're you're like I have to pull this together I have to step up to this I'm like you know but you're having a million conversations in your head I can't explain it's an out-of-body experience and then I remember once they found it, they found him, they found the body, they then um, asked somebody to identify and I was like, I can't identify it. And then um, there was another, a friend of mine was there that identified um, him and then we were able to then go back to my mum's and then I just remember my mum sitting in the kitchen and then the house just pouring in with people and it was silent, like people would walk in and it was probably now midnight or something like that. And it was literally silent. Like people just could not believe this had even occurred. Do you remember that bit? The silence was definitely Like it was yesterday. Yeah. The silence was literally that everybody was piled into my mum's kitchen and everyone was just standing there going, just, just silence. And it was silence for a long time. It was. Like no one could speak. It was so bizarre because there were a number of people there. There would have been at least 20, 25 people there. And I remember your mum was just sitting at the kitchen table and she just wasn't blinking. She was so, you know, deep in shock. And then there's just all of these people there and and nobody was saying anything. Oh. And it, it was just, I, I actually remember getting angry because why aren't we speaking? When I first got there, why are we not saying anything? What's going on here? What's Why can't we, you know, what is happening? Why are we not talking? And then... 
I couldn't think because of anything. Because you've got nothing, because you, you can't, your mind can't comprehend what's actually just happened. You just can't yeah. comprehend. Like there's, there's so much to say, but there's, there's nothing to nothing say because you can't. There's so much to say, but nothing to say because yeah. you just can't. And then every every now and then, someone would say something. It wasn't. It wasn't actually like you weren't allowed to say something. You could have said something, but nothing made sense. Your, your mind was like going, "I just can't actually believe this is occurring. This is. Yeah. I can't actually believe that this is even happening." Yeah. Like the, as you, I think that as people were finding out and as people were, I remember, you know, people were going through my phone and ringing everybody, which is a scenario that I'm, I'm very too familiar with having where, you know, here's my phone, look these people up and, and ring, you know, um, and, and hopefully nobody will have to do that ever again and go through my phone and, and ring people. It's a scenario mm-hmm. that I'm very common, you know, um, accustomed to now, especially after losing my mum that as people would rock up, they'd walk in and, and you'd almost be like, this can't be happening. I've got this phone call. It must not be true. Yeah. I'm just going to go over there anyway. And then I, you walk into my mum's house and you walk in and there's these people just standing there. Like standing, it was almost like we're standing there like zombies with this shock. Yeah. The shock. And then the next morning it was a media frenzy, crazy of people um wanting questions and media and newspaper and blah 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 all of that kind of stuff and and we didn't even know details and then you know I just kind of that's when I don't have any brothers and sisters and that's when you step up to another level like all of us I mean I remember that night the only time that I spoke was I spoke to um the organ donor people they rang me straight away and they said Somebody, I can't remember, I think it was one of my girlfriends said, you need to take this call. And I'm like, who is it? And they said, well, he's registered as an organ donor. You need to make this decision now. And I'm like, hang on a second. Like this like this only mm-hmm. happened a few hours ago. Like it was, I think it was literally like we literally got back and they've said, you know, and they've said to me, look, um, we've got his body here. Or, you know, we've, we've been told his body and da-da-da-da. What do you, we, we can't actually um, donate any of the organs, but because of what's happened in the accident and the trauma, but can we donate it to science and and da da da? And your mum needs to be the final decision. And I literally went, so can I get back to you on that one? And they said, yes. no, no, you need to do this now. And I went, now, like, so I literally went up to my mum, who was broken, like broken, like you can't be bro- ever broken. And I just said to mum, I need to ask you this question that I need to ask you now. He's an organ donor. They want to know, can they have it all now? Yeah. It only happened five and a half seconds ago, you know, like it's the middle of the night and she just said, yes, yes, do that. You know, like it's it's incredible when you're under absolute maximum stress The what you then go, I'm now pushing myself to another level. Now I need to push myself to the next level. And then before you know it, I'm, I'm up to my eyeballs in, in coroners and courts and, you know, within that particular, like the next day I'm on the I'm on the phone to the coroner's court, this is a crime scene, blah, 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 all of this stuff. Like there's no rest in it. So that is, that's the night that it happened and everything's real and raw and that goes on for days and days and then you've got the funeral to prefer, prepare for. Well, the funeral for. didn't take, was quite some time, it was probably about two and a half weeks because yep. of coroner's court and yep. it was being a crime and all of that sort of stuff. So it wasn't, 
It was an investigation. It, it was an investigation, so I wasn't able to do, and I had to get a, a coroner's report. There was nothing that you could do. And because my mum wasn't doing anything, she was literally just like sitting there and, and you know, I'm Italian, so there's a small, there was 50 people a day of, of mm. coming in and, and what was going on. So I literally did it all on my own. Or, you know, I, I remember going into my mum's office and then and then my fiancé, now being my husband, I just said, he said, do you want to? I come in and I went this is not how I imagined this, our life to be where we're picking coffins together it was yeah. not you know so yeah. I found myself kind of going well what do you think that we should get and he's like well what do you it was a very very big wake-up call to to you the rest of your life the person that is very very big yeah but um this is what it's going to be like this is how we make decisions together and all of that sort of stuff um but then interestingly enough that night or um you know again house was full but it would have been probably about maybe 10 o'clock at night it was quite late at night the doorbell rang and there were still people there and I went and um my girlfriend went to the door and um she said Sasha there's someone here to see you and I went there now I'm a bit of a matchmaker Let's let's, uh, let's get the positives out of this. I'm a bit of a matchmaker, and this uh, guy came to the door that was very good looking, very very good looking guy. And I looked. Now my friend's very very single, and I just looked. And this is it's very when I say it's like an out of body experience. The whole thing. I just looked and went. I think I need to set you up right now. <laughs> and he said. Um, you're Sasha and I said yes and he said do you remember me and it was and I said no and he said I'm the policeman that you know we had a bit of a uh, an altercation last night we'd be off the bricks yeah yeah so you know he goes and I I pushed you around a bit and and you pushed me back and I said oh my god yes and in my mind I'm like oh my god are you single I (laughs) wasn't oh my god no that's just I'm I'm nuts I'm nuts I'm no I'm not right anyway and then um and he said he just grabbed me and he said I've not stopped thinking about the way that I treated you and what I did to you I've not stopped thinking about and um I've just finished work and I've come I just wanted to come and I've looked up your address and I hope that's not against the privacy but I just wanted to come in and say I'm sorry and he hugged me at the door right and um anyway and and I just said do you want to come in for coffee because you know being Italian we had enough coffee and cakes for everybody because everyone brings over um you know, a tray of cannelloni, uh, a, a cannoli, sorry, and cannelloni as and well. Cannelloni, yeah. yeah. And everyone brings over. And I just said, do you want to come over? And as I've done this, I don't actually know, like he's walked into the lounge room and I've gone in the background with my friend, copper, that's the copper. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I've gone, and this is my friend Joe, like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, yeah, so... Yeah, it was. I love that you've got some moments within all of that tragedy that you can look back on and and that you can sort of you know you can actually have a laugh, you can have a giggle because he was um he was full of life and had the biggest sparkle in his eye and you know was just the cheekiest, loveliest man, you know that you'd ever want to meet. Oh, and just so he's not my biological father. Um, Yeah, but he was that he was with my mum for a long time and he really did step up as my dad yeah you know, like really really, really did dad. 
really, really did, like did things for me that, you know, it was not, and never ever overstepped his mark, like didn't, mm-hmm. um, didn't expect anything from me, never understood, always knew that he was not my dad, like always knew, I mean, you know, my dad was not, you know, it's not like he was taking over the spot of someone special. My dad was you know, not the greatest man on the earth. So that's probably where my daddy issues come from. <laughs> um, but he just so respectfully took on that role and came into my life as my mum's um, partner. But then, you know, slowly started referring to me as his daughter and, mm. you know, so slowly started doing that. And I would kind of go, these are my parents and then mm. this is my father and, but, you know, because it was that awkward time of going, you know, you're my mum's boyfriend, like that oh, yeah. weird stuff. And then, you know, he'd start just being very, very kind to me. He was just very, very kind. He was. Kind to me, loving and kind without overstepping the mark and trying to be that pushy dad in, in any way. Um, and so then, then started a, a two-year cycle of a, of a court case. That was just that just went on and on and on, which I dealt with all of that and evidence and, oh, God, it was just never-ending, never-ending of, of stuff of what that that actually took out of me and my mum, which my, I really my mum didn't have much to do with it. Like I'd, I'd kind of never even really talk about it much mm. with her. It was kind of like it was something that was just going on in the background in my life until we got a court date. And then when we... um. When we got that court date, um, oh, we we went into we went into court, and I remember you were there with me. And uh, she had, I don't know how, but um, she had gotten a new boyfriend over the course of that time because she was free, gotten a new boyfriend, and that boyfriend clearly probably didn't understand the law very well because they thought that I was the one that was pressing charges and I was actually not. This was a police matter. Like I was, nobody ever said to me, do you want to press charges? Is this the choice? This was like out of my hands. This was the Mm -hmm. police were actually, um, you know, they arrested her. It didn't have anything to do with me of what my opinions were. And so we were out the front of the county court and he was threatening that he was going to bash me. And next thing I've got, you know, the security are looking after me and blah, 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 because this guy's like through the thing, oh, I'm going to get you and I'm going to get this, 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 like this is my fault, like I've done it to his girlfriend. Mm. Um, and she had um, she had uh, two daughters, I think, two daughters. Mm-hmm. She had yes, two daughters. Two daughters, yep. And there was a younger daughter and and uh, during the court case that we were there, the younger daughter was running, she would have been about four. And then when we went out, this was probably – uh, there was a lot of victim statements that was that were victim, uh, victim impact statements that were read and of, of so many people just to kind of give the judge a, a more of an idea. And then during that course, they also explained about her history, mm. and that was really that was heartbreaking for me because they explained a young person that I work with that she'd had mm. experienced so much trauma and such such an awful life that had led her to that point. And then the sentencing was actually during the, the day, um, during at lunchtime, her family actually approached us and just said, I'm sorry, her family, which, was, which was quite an impact of being, I think that was, that was beautiful of her family saying sorry because I think that they oh, thought. Yeah, let's be clear, not her, it was her family. Well, she didn't really have an opportunity to be able to do that because she was in the witness box and then, 
you know, didn't have an opportunity to speak to me at all. And she's a young person that's mm. had a, you know, had this thing. And she's got this boyfriend that was the biggest, Jesus, like that outweighs every bad boyfriend I've got. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> much stop them. Uh, yeah, let me tell you. I mean, there's one person that's had worse boyfriends than me, like that, you know. She, <laughs> like, they, I mean, this guy was a, a treasure. Anyway, and um, when her family had come up to say I'm sorry, the little girl was there and she was standing there. And, I, you know, um, she I think she was, like, tugging on my clothes or something and I just knelt, knelt down and, and chatted to her and, and this little girl was four because she was telling me that she was in kinder. And, um, and I knew that her mum was about to be taken away and locked up and, um, and her other daughter, older daughter, was being taken away and moved in with some other family. And then the, the little daughter, I think I just started chatting to her and I said you know what's your name and then she smiled and all of her teeth were decayed and I just remember like I thought well you know and another person has a big of a Coke Zero addict other than me you know what I mean like it was just it would actually broke me to think that this little four-year-old which meant that the abuse of what was going on in that family was so big that for some reason, our, our lives just intertwined in that. And so that broke my heart. And I remember going home. And by the time that this, um, by the time the court case had happened, I'd gotten married and had a baby and all of that. And so uh, I got home that night and I had given my son a bath and I'd put him to bed. And I lay in bed in the fetal position for hours, just crying my eyes out, crying, mm. crying. And I just, and I remember thinking to myself, I just want to call the judge and say, let her go because mm-hmm. let that little girl have a mum. You know, that was what I really, but it was out of my hands and stuff. And so when then we went back and then, then there was a sentencing. And so she'd gotten eight years, uh, eight years on the top and five years on the bottom, which really means like if you're on good behaviour, if you get it, if you do your time on good behaviour, you'll get out in five years. If you don't, you get five, eight. And um, and then that was kind of the chapter of, of that all closed of how that does. I've never been angry at her, never, except for what. So okay, so I say never. I've I've not been angry because that was just how my, that's another story in my life, another chapter in my life, and another story. There was only one time, and that was when I was about to give birth to my son. Mm. So. Uh, I had a, a quite a difficult pregnancy. Not I'm not difficult, but towards the last trimester of my pregnancy, my son stopped growing. It wasn't growing and wasn't moving, mm. so I'd have to go in on every day. Like you know, they'd send me in, you know, two or three days a week until every day, and so I'd have to drink like two litres of freezing cold ice water and I'd have to drink it really, really quickly and that would kind of make my stomach really cold and that would wake him up and they'd strap these things to me and they'd monitor his heart rate and his movement to get it because I was literally like not getting any movement whatsoever. And um, anyway, over the course, day in and day out, I was getting less movement, less growing, the more it was. And so this one particular day I've gone in and they've said, look, he hasn't moved for days. Mm. we've got a heartbeat but he hasn't moved for days and he's not growing so you're going to have to have this baby tonight and induce we're going to induce you and have this baby tonight Mm. and um it was quite scary because this this baby was just not moving although he's 12 now and he doesn't stop so (laughs) um 
and and he's and he's almost my height so I don't know how that that even works you know but he was just not moving and um so being first baby and my god scared and all of that sort of stuff and so I drove I, I went home to so go home get your stuff and come back you're gonna you're gonna have this baby and I got home and I rang my mum and I said mum this is it I'm having the baby today mm. and my mum comes over and my mum literally loses her mind mm. she starts crying and screaming and says I'm not ready for this I'm like mm, what do you mean you're not ready for this mum she said well I'm not ready I didn't imagine being a grandmother on my own this is not how I pant you know I mean this was this was realistically it was not it was only was I think it was not even a year had passed since his mm. death to when um he was there or just over a year. So it was quite, it was still, there was a lot going on. Like mm -hmm. there's got accident, car accident, babies, marriage, blah, 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 mm -hmm. in a very, very short amount of time. Yeah. And she said, I'm not ready for this. And I'm like, mum, you need to, you need to get your crap together and you need to be ready for this. She's like, no, I'm not ready for this. And I'm, I'm in denial and you're not having this baby and blah, blah, blah. blah. And, and you got to think, I'm petrified because mm. what's going on? Like, why mm. is this baby not growing? What's going to happen? What are the effects of this? And I'm about to have a baby and this baby's got to come out. And that freaks me out a little bit, right? Mm. So like, there's all this stuff going on in my mind. And my mum is, has chooses now mm. to have her biggest mental breakdown right now. Yeah. On the day I'm about to give birth. Yeah. And so my mum and I have this big argument and, and you know, you've been witness to my mum and I's argument, like the earth kind of tilts on its axis when we have a fight. I'm like, that's it, mum, you're not, I can't deal with this. You know, I, if there's ever a day I need you to be supportive and mum's like, I can't deal with this. And, and then I said, well, you need to get out, mum, I can't cope with this. And she leaves. And so pack my bags and we go into the hospital and I packed my bags hating this girl hating her and thinking mm -hmm. do you have any idea what you've ruined this is supposed to be the greatest day of my life and yep. I'm about to go into this scared out of my mind and the yep. one person I need by my side is my mum yeah. and, and my mum is having a mental breakdown because yep. of this because she's just come to now going I'm not ready to be a grandparent and I didn't know it was going to be by myself and all that stuff and um Anyway, and I was so mad, so mad, and then thought, oh, this anger is not good for my baby, blah, blah, blah. And I, I think I meditated and went, I need to forgive you. I, you know, I need, and that was the only time. Anyway, I went in, and then about half an hour later, my mum turned up and said, I'm ready. And I went, <sighs> thank God for that, mum. Yeah. Coming out anyway. Just, I needed you. I needed you here. I needed you right here. So. I said, I'm really sorry for that. And that was my one. And then that was, I was let it, I let it go. But it was a very significant moment because I just thought you've, you've taken everything. Now you're taking this from me. You've Like it was almost like I was like, you've taken so much from me. Like you've taken my wedding day. You've taken my, you know, the fact that I've moved it. You've taken my family. You've taken every, all of my future and all of this stuff. And now you're going to take this moment from mm. me now. Mm. It was like a build up of, of all of those kind of things. And then, yeah. you know, nothing like a bit of meditation to do a bit of a forgiveness. Oh, my gosh. There's only so much forgiveness you can give before you break, you know. Yeah. And, and, and that was my moment. Yeah, and that was, I mean, in the scheme of things, in the in the times that you could have broken before that, there were a 100 of them easily. And I think I'm so proud of you and, and your mum. You handled it in, in gracefully and, and, you know, with lots of forgiveness. And I don't think most people would be able to have done what you what you guys did and but continue to do today. The reason is is because of my background in my job, because I've been able to see what goes on in the other side. Yeah. You know, I've been able to see the impact. So 
when the, when the judges telling you know when they're, they're telling us all about this girl's past I get it because I work with disadvantaged young people mm. I've been in those juvenile detention centers I understand what's going on I understand what goes through their head I understand that it's a young person made a really bad decision you know adults make bad decisions like that all the time let alone a young person that's been in there and and you know, been brought up in a lifetime of, of alcohol and, you know, raised in alcohol abusive um, in, in a world where people are drink driving all the time. This was this was her natural, she paid the price of of what her family was doing Absolutely. because she had grown up with that. Generation. So I, I could, yeah, it was, it was generational that she was to just go drink and then go, let's go to the bottle shop and get some more, you know. It was just that sort of the way that it was going. Yeah. So she definitely, and I felt awful that she was paying the price because at such a young age, she was um, now going to jail because she was doing something that it probably her family had done a million times before and never got caught with, and yet she did. Yeah. You know? Absolutely true. Thank okay. you so much for sharing that story with us, Sasha. I hope that everybody, um, you know, understands why we went so personal and so deep today and it was you know it's just um, an opportunity given that it was National Road Safety Week last week you know for us to talk and for you to tell us about you know what happened with your dad and thank you so much for being so raw and so real with us on our show the Sonia and Sasha for real show we don't do it any other way do we but we've got to be real we've got to be real yeah and you know look I think a lot of people if anyone's um you know uh, if that's triggered anything for anybody please call lifeline on 131114 but we um love you Sash we love you we love you for being the Dalai Lama in a female body and um (laughs) and teaching us about forgiveness and the bigger picture and understanding that we're all human and we're all doing what we can and making mistakes and you know we've paid you've paid your family have paid the biggest price and we love you Vernie wherever you are in the stars and oh, all together they're, they're having a party, having yeah, a party. Having so, a- what are you talking about this crap for We're long yeah. gone, right? don't you be know? sad don't be sad yeah. Yeah. but thank you and um thank you and we love you thank you always love you too we will um, end the show on that on that uh, very personal note and uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening today. We'll be back next week on the Sonia and Sasha For Real show. You're listening to Brimbank Live on Live FM. Sonia and Sasha For Real. Love you, Sash. Love you too. Sonia and Sasha For Real.